Welcome to the Start a Brewery podcast, where we discuss all things relating to startups, open and growing breweries from concept to execution. We are pleased to partner with All About Beer to bring you this podcast. You're joining us today for episode 010, Design and Build Strategy. I'm Laura Lodge here with Candace Moon, and we're excited to welcome you to our ongoing podcast journey. As your hosts and founders of Start a Brewery, we both have extensive experience in our areas of specialty. Candace is the craft beer attorney, having worked with more than 500 brewery clients over time, and my background is a mix of distribution, event planning, and craft beer education. You can find more information about us and our contributors, plus a whole bunch of information and resources at startabrewery.com. To begin, we appreciate today's podcast sponsor. Craft beer knows firsthand that the best ingredient is love. Arrived Point of Sale combines industry expertise, essential taproom tools, and a whole lot of love to make running your brewery easier. Scale faster with Arrive's mobile all-in-one system that offers flight tools, digital card on file, and award-winning customer support. See profit building tools in action at arrive.com forward slash start a brewery. That's A-R-R-Y-V-E-D dot com forward slash start a brewery. Finally, a lovable point of sale arrived. This episode continues our series about key decisions needed for building your business plan. We have gotten into some nuts and bolts aspects of creating your business most recently through episode 008, covering ownership and organizational structure with Mary Bretman of Beverage Business Builders, Jeff O'Brien of Chestnut Cambrone, and Jeff Mandel of Left Hand Brewing Company. And then in episode 009 about kitchens, plus taproom, brew pub, or packaging brewery, that question, with Tom Hennessy of Colorado Boy Brewery, Matt Potts of Distill Restaurant and Brew Works, and Chris Black of the Falling Rock Tap House. For design and build strategy, we are also looking back to episode 003, before the business plan, to the discussion about foundational elements. That's where we discussed location and some of the more critical decision-making elements about what a good location is. Dustin Houck was with us for that discussion, and we're pleased to have him back with us today. I feel like this session takes the hypothetical out of the equation and becomes concrete, pun intended. Today we get real, and the real comes off of the paper and becomes 3D quickly. So let's get into designing so we can build. So today we have with us uh, Derek Wasik, founder and lead consultant of Plato Brewing and Consulting Incorporated, uh, Andy Hooper, director of business development for Barnum Mechanical, and Dustin Houck, uh, principal owner of Halk Architecture. So I'm going to give a little more information about these gentlemen. Derek is a 14-year veteran of the craft beer industry, an award-winning head brewer, and has direct experience planning, designing, building, and operating multiple craft breweries. Derek has worked at numerous breweries, notably Smutty Nose and Stone Brewing, other, along with others ranging from 1,000 barrel up to 180,000 barrels a year. Derek is a graduate of UMass Lowell, Siebel Institute, World Brewing Academy, and Domans Academy, and specializes in brewery business planning, equipment and space planning, expansion planning, and project management. Andy is the Director of Business Development for Barnum Mechanical, a design-build engineering contractor. He is an award-winning brewmaster with over 15 years of experience in brewery design, sustainability, wastewater treatment, and process engineering. He holds a BS in biochemistry from Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, and holds a Master Brewer certification from the UC Davis Master Brewers Extension Program. And he has previously worked with Seismic Brewing Company and Anderson Valley. 
Last but not least, Dustin Houck. With over 25 years experience in the profession, Dustin has participated in all aspects of architectural practice. As principal of the firm, he is the driving force behind all the firm's projects and designs, responsible for project management and document production. Dustin's combination of thorough analysis, client considerations, and attention to detail constitute the foundation of how architecture's approach to every project, whether it's a green home design, a sustainable restaurant renovation, production brewery, or ADA code compliance upgrades. Welcome, gentlemen. So let's just jump right in. I've, we've got a lot of questions, and I know there's a lot to cover. So, um, Derek, let's flash back to some of the critical elements for a good location to start. We want to take a pretty deep dive, so let's literally set the foundation first. When you're working with someone that is looking for a location, whether it's an expansion location or a startup, what are the key checklist items that you use for the search? Yeah, I mean, first of all, thanks for having me on and, and the intro and everything like that. Um, but <clears throat> kind of as you mentioned, uh, this is the part of the process where really things start to get real, start to get more concrete, and you kind of start to build the literal foundation of um, the, the brewery that you're going to be owning operating and and hopefully growing um but i'll also just sort of before i even get to the critical items checklist just kind of echo the sort of theme of this podcast today you know i listened to some previous episodes and um in general it would be uh, plan things out plan things out ideally before you select a location unless you're fortunate enough to have um inherited a building or uh, you already have property that you want to convert but um but your best bet is really going to be a uh, plan before you get to the location selection just because once you have a location <clears throat> generally speaking you're probably going to be paying either mortgage or rent and um and if you haven't planned things out beforehand you might run into some very costly financial or time um improvements or or things surprises that you you really you know, don't don't want to have to run into had you planned ahead. Um, so on on that sort of theme, like I said, you know, it kind of starts with the most basic thing of you know your business plan. Make sure that you kind of, again, with kind of the theme of this whole podcast is plan out your business. Know the model that you're going to do. Know the size um, of of equipment and uh, space that you're going to be looking for. The products you're going to be making. Uh, your your growth uh, and in the trajectory and, and how you're going to grow, be it you know through tasting room or packaging or you know how how do you want to expand? Um, once you know that, the next thing you're gonna next really critical thing is is the equipment that's going to ultimately go into your location and space. Um, you know it starts with the the fun stuff like you know your brew house tanks um, and and that sort of thing, but it also extends to Cold box support equipment like chillers and, and things like that. The size of your tasting space. Do you want an outdoor patio? Um, do you have outdoor room to to put some of that support equipment and and that sort of thing? Uh, and on the, on that same you know equipment through line would be the infrastructure needs. You know it's going to be important for uh, the location itself um, that with with your equipment selection and, and what you plan to put in it and, and how you plan to grow with that equipment um what infrastructure needs are going to go into that location you know uh 
if you select a building that doesn't have the right water or gas line or needs massive um, upgrades to its slab or, or something like that, that's, again, you want to kind of know that before going in and, and getting into a building uh, and then find out, oh, this might cost me about one or $200,000 more than I plan to spend. Um, and then, you know, beyond, you know, the direct infrastructure equipment, you know, ceiling heights, you want to make sure the, the building is, is zoned correctly and that sort of things. But once you have all that, you'll also want to establish just product workflow and your storage needs. Again, it's not super sexy, um, but your day-to-day -day needs of even just loading areas and what you need for that, getting truck access, getting forklift access and, and that sort of thing. Um, but like I said, you know, it sort of wraps up with like my, the, the critical things you want to do is just plan and sort of identify those things, um, before you have a building so that you can go into looking for a building, kind of knowing what, what you're going to use the space for and, um, and how it might need to be upgraded to, to, to utilize it. Great. Um, so Andy, when you were working with Seismic or Anderson Valley, um, was there already a location in place or did you guys have to look for a location? Yeah. Um, so yeah, first of all, again, thank you very much for, for having me on and for the opportunity. Um, my experience with Seismic is probably the, the best place to start because um, it was a sort of greenfield project. Um, when I started designing it like um, on a laptop um, and there was no site chosen yet, um, that was the ideal situation for all the reasons that Derek kind of outlined. You should start with what your needs are going to be, what your business model requires uh, to sustain you know, profitability and growth, and then go try to find a place to fit. Um, and then ironically, what, what happened with Seismic right after that was that uh, like many of uh, the brewery clients that we work with at, at Barnum Mechanical, um, the inventory available of warehouse space is kind of slim. So you don't get your perfect ideal situation. And also um, capital isn't necessarily there to just go out and buy something. You have to choose from somewhat limited inventory of warehouse space or, or physical space to build. And then you also have to find a landlord who's willing to rent it to you and who is also good with the idea that you're going to be making some significant tenant improvements. <clears throat> and hopefully they're willing to write kind of a favorable um, tenant improvement agreement or something like that. So with, um, uh, with, with, with Seismic, there was basically three locations that a real estate agent um, put in front of me. And I happened to select one that <clears throat> was really uh, very good in a lot of ways and, and did have some downfalls. Um, <clears throat> it was really good in that it was a brand new building um, with an undeveloped lot kind of surrounding it. Um, so utilities were already in place. And if you're building a brewery in a hurry, I have bad news about things like PG&E and uh, whatever you, your utility provider might be. Um, just getting, you know, the adequate amount of power to a building that doesn't have it yet could set you back a year. Um, so that wasn't the case with uh, with the seismic location. It already had um, plenty of uh, of power. It had gas. Uh, all those things were great. Uh, some downfalls, though. 
it did not have a shipping uh, pull through. So trucks couldn't uh, come through and do dock high loading and things like that. Um, and it also did not allow for direct to consumer. It was located in a, um, an industrial sort of park where uh, the general public wouldn't be allowed. Uh, the city said no to that idea because of the, uh, the lack of parking space and, and other concerns with safety. So um, that drove our, our business model away from direct to consumer, which of course would be totally fine between 2009 and say 2014. Um, and then as we saw, the trend was greatly towards um, you know, DTC being really important to being able to make direct sales, not just because you can make direct sales and make more margin, but also because it's how you do your storytelling and your brand development and all that kind of a really important formative stuff for a new company. Um, so that's what I had to work with. I had a, you know, a nice brand new building, very pretty, a landlord who was willing to work with us flexibly and to um, provide us the ability to do those tenant improvements, all those utilities. Um, uh, the availability of local wastewater treatment is another huge one. Um, kind of have a wastewater history. So um, knowing that a brewery was going to go in place, um, it was important to know that we had a local municipal wastewater treatment option who could take our waste if that's the route we went. Uh, and there was, we ended up treating our own waste with a local or with a um, wastewater treatment system that we purchased and operated, um, which is another story. But uh, anyway, those were all sort of our considerations because we were, we were being driven by a business model that was heavily uh, through three-tier distribution. Gotcha. Dustin, you've spelled out some key criteria, uh, key criteria for location in your articles in the Starter Brewery Library. What would you say are, is the best or a couple of the best ways to avoid major pitfalls, whether building from scratch or retrofitting an existing building? Well, I think there's, there's several different uh, pitfalls that we see on a fairly regular basis. I think one of the biggest one um, is usually just the utilities of the building, making sure that it has or you can get uh, the adequate uh, electrical supply, water supply, um, natural gas, if, you're, if that's going to be your primary fuel source. Um, electrical is probably the biggest one, uh, making sure that it has enough power to feed your brewery. Um, we often see that probably being the number one deficiency. Um, and then start looking at other things, outdoor space, whether that be first any kind of outdoor equipment you might want to put out there or customer area you want to use. Um, ceiling heights is always important for um, your, your cellar tanks and the heights that are needed for conical fermenters. Um, and uh, making sure the building is adequate for the brewery. And that's not only the utilities, that could also be the, the use being allowed in that zone. Um, is the brewery allowed and is the taproom both allowed? Is a special permit required for that? If it is, what's the time frame process for that? Uh, understanding that the type of construction of the building and the occupancies of the building that may trigger something like fire sprinkler requirements. Does it have them? Do you need to add them? What's the cost to do that? Um, and you can find out a lot of these things by just having the, the property walked with your contractor and your architect to discover some of these things. We can look at the meters and panels and kind of look at what the uh, electrical supplies are. We can discover what the water and gas services are. We can talk to your um, building departments to find out what their requirements are going to be. And we can also contact the utility companies to see what, what's being provided to the site or if we need to get the upgrades 
what does that mean? And is, for example, is three phase, if it's not there, three phase electrical service, what's it going to take to get it? And is there even three phase in the neighborhood to get it from the utility company? Because um, we run into that every once in a while that some of those things just aren't there and there's no way to upgrade them. So understanding what that means to the project and the budget and the, and the construction and the possibility of the brewery altogether. Laura, did you want to add something? Um, just a question. Dustin, if, if somebody finds out that they can't get, say, adequate electric or natural gas and th that changes their entire um, plan that they had originally thought about what kind of system they were going to purchase, um, how does that how does that effectively really change the whole thing? So it depends on what where the deficiency is. If the amperage just isn't there and you don't have the power to do what you need to do, that's really going to hamstring what your operations can do. One of your biggest draws is going to be your glycol chiller and even some of the smaller ones um, in, in the five to 10 barrel range. We see glycol chillers pushing 100, 160 amps. And if you only have 200 amps available in the space, that's the majority of your power. You don't have any power left just to run lights because uh, you're basically giving all that power to, um, to the glycol chiller. So if you can't upgrade the electrical service, that's a real big one. Um, there aren't, there's not a whole lot of options. You can't just, uh, you know, create more power. You know, solar systems aren't going to produce the kind of power that's needed on a regular basis. They can help to supplement and maybe offset some of the pricing, but they're not going to replace um, some of those things. Um, if you don't have the large enough water line or water service, that can be mitigated with holding tanks that you can have filled overnight or the float valve so you have that volume of water available on a, on a quick basis. Um, if you don't have natural gas, there are options to doing electric systems or uh, propane systems, but the efficiencies are not the same. And so understanding what the cost of that power is going to be for you, whether that's electric gas, what the cost of that fuel is going to be in relationship to a batch of beer and looking at that over the long term. And is it really economical to power your brew house on a propane if 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 the cost of the propane is much more than natural gas would be in most places? Andy? Uh, I just um, wanted to piggyback on that one point very quickly about the cost of electric versus the uh, fuel supply. Um, in a couple of little case studies that, uh, that I've done, uh, if you're generating steam, for example, the cost of generating steam with electricity versus with a local available fuel uh, worked out to be about 3x. Um, so you may save initially on, you know, the cost of putting in like a complicated boiler or condensate, you know, fuel type system and go for like a less expensive, um, you know, electric steam generator, uh, knowing that the, the cost, depending on your rates and where you're located, um, the electric is maybe two to three X more expensive to, uh, to generate that steam. Gotcha. Yeah, we've only had one steam boiler powered brewery and it did not survive. Eric? Yeah, I think actually on that topic, uh, you know, I have a more of a question than I guess like um, in addition to it, but have you seen solar, um, the use of solar help mitigate that 3x cost versus uh, gas in, in, in recent times at all? Uh, it's such a, um, an interesting topic, especially out here in California, since the solar rate structures just changed um, very recently. I'll be curious to see what happens um, to incentivize, you know, not just residents, but maybe also brewers to start putting in solar or maybe uh, battery backup as well. 
Um, I did see a case, um, one of a small brewery that I went to um, interview four years ago out in Colorado, they had a uh, solar thermal and they were a pub scale. Um, so they did solar, but not photovoltaic. They actually heated, preheated their hot liquor um, with, uh, with a, an array that was on their roof to, to heat their water up uh, because they had some limitations in their ability to, to heat water. I thought that was really great, really innovative. It wasn't necessarily sustainable marketing driven. It was purely that's what they had to do to put their brewery there. It was very cool. Wow. Yeah, and those can be options and but, but understanding how that changes your business model. If you're relying upon solar thermal, there's a time of use for that. You're not you're not having warm water first thing in the morning when most brewers brew and need that water. So you're having to change your schedules to work around the availability of those of that of that heating. So as the, the lawyer in the mix, I'm going to add here that uh, I always recommend to all my clients who have either a contractor or an architect walk premises with them before signing a lease so that hopefully you're not locked in when you find out that you have to change all these things. Um, yeah, we've stressed that for a long time. I think that uh, I hope the word's gotten out because it's been a long time since I've had someone come to me with a signed lease and uh, no natural gas and not enough power in their space. Usually they bring us in early enough and I've been stressing it for a long time. Have us look at it first. Cause once you've signed the lease, that's the problem that the brewery that we did that was an electric boiler was a case just like that. They were told by the landlord that it was gas and they trusted them. They didn't discover it themselves. It wasn't, we had to go with electric boiler and in the long run, it just didn't work out financially for them. Do you yeah. suggest that the municipal people walk it as well before you sign it? Only if you're looking to upgrade those utilities and understanding what's available. If you need a larger water service, you need more electrical service, you're going to have to talk to the municipality as to what's available, what can be brought. Um, perhaps um, a different voltage is available in the area. Perhaps there's spare amperage in the area that can be dedicated to you. Um, there's different ways to expand those services that are already there or you know, we had one brewery that didn't have natural gas, but it was in the street out front. So they were able to pipe and basically trench and connect to an, the gas pipe and bring it to the building. Um, you know, those those are things that you would have to talk to the municipality to find out if those are available. Once you determine what the deficiencies are of the building with your contract and your architect, then you can go back to the utility to find out what it's going to take to make those upgrades. And I want to add to you, uh, even if you don't, plan to do a lot of construction, so you don't think you need an architect or a contractor, again, I think it's worth an hour or two of, of someone's time to come walk the premises before you commit to anything. So even if yeah, you're understanding what your demand is going to be, um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of people tell me that, oh, the place has got lots of power and it's got 200 amps. And I'm like, well, you, have you looked at the loads of your equipment exactly and understand if that, that is really enough, do you know every piece of equipment and account for things that aren't on there, just convenience outlets for plugging in like a phone or a, or a POS system or, or, you know, the, you know, the lighting, you know, these things, it's not just your major components. It's a combination of everything. And then breakers can be sized differently. They can be, they can be sized to 80% capacity or hundred percent capacity. So if you've got a 400 amp breaker, but it's only an 80% breaker, that's going to be your max. You can't go over that. So kind of understanding that and what the equipment is, you kind of have to have the whole package, a full load analysis of your of what the project's gonna be and then what's available. And it's gonna vary with the different voltages um, of how much amperage is available for that equipment. 
Okay, so call Dustin before you do anything. That's what I'm learning. <laughs> Okay. I, I stress that's a good idea or or someone else that knows about breweries and can evaluate what they're looking at. Perfect. Okay. Let's, uh, let's move on. I feel like there's so, again, so much more we could get into. Um, Derek, so given a location selection, where do you begin with the layout of a brew house and the critical production space with your clients? Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm going to try not to repeat too much because we kind of just touched on a lot of a lot of the things that you kind of I think would look when look at when you're sort of starting to lay out your brew house and critical production. I mean, Dustin just mentioned a whole a whole bunch of them, but it all starts with you know it starts with the large equipment. It does not end at the large equipment, but it starts there. And you want to make sure your ceiling heights are are going to be uh, high enough for your brew house for your fermentation tanks. Um, you know both when you initially get going, as well as, again, it comes back to the plant, like what are you gonna be growing into and what are you gonna be adding in phase two or three, you know, two to three or five years down the line? Uh, how does that fill out your space? Um, the utility needs, again, you know, Dustin mentioned it, but like, is it steam? Uh, is it gas? Is it gonna be electric? really figuring out figuring out all of that and it even extends beyond those just um more traditional utilities it even starts to go you know the the larger brew house you get uh some compressed air comes into play um co2 for your cellar and tanks and and packaging line and, and things like that um as well as even again some some newer brew houses have some more connectivity and automation into involved in it that's something to consider when you're when you're sort of laying it out how do those things how how do things reach to your brew house and also where are they where are these where's their home in in or outside of the building that kind of connects it all together um and i mentioned it earlier too it you know beyond you know just the the stuff that you brew on physically there's a whole bunch of you know support equipment you know with mill grist case uh, all your grain handling uh piping chiller cold box glycol piping you know things like that it's it's all the sort of brewery specific infrastructure um that goes beyond your you know building and utility infrastructure that 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 really does need to be uh considered when when you're when you're laying out your production area um and even again the larger you get you might be talking about um, product transfer lines hard piping and uh where where is that you know sort of diverter panel or where do you hook up to it to get from your brew house to either a cellar that's further away or a bright cellar that's you know further in, in the corner of a building or maybe in a, a whole other building altogether if you're really expanding larger um and and all of that kind of you know flows right through to packaging equipment you know again it kind of comes back to your business plan a lot of breweries, especially now, are kind of um, staying on the smaller end and, and going with tasting room growth and, and they're, they're canning, but you might be able to get away with, you know, a benchtop unit that can use your existing infrastructure. However, if you're, if you have plans to be, you know, a regional brewery or eventually a national brewery, um, that packaging line that you're going to use even initially and to, to get you to that point it's going to take a pretty good amount of real estate and ultimately utilities. Again, what, what Dustin mentioned, you know, like he said, uh, 
the chiller itself can can push a lot of amps. Uh, you know, a fully automated packaging line can push even more. And and along with, you know, you might have to size your CO2 uh, bulk tank two or three times what a small brewery that isn't doing that kind of packaging. Um, and then again, like I said, it's sort of like your accessibility to operational needs. How do, how are you actually going to utilize that space on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, you know, getting grain in, getting grain out of your building, getting grain or, you know, taking grain out of your brew house. What does that pathway look like? Um, like I said, if you're, if you're going to be a packaging brewery, stands to reason you probably have some pretty ambitious growth plans. So that that likely means that there'll be a point in your future where you're going to be brewing and packaging same day. You don't want to have those paths clash with each other and you want to be able to kind of do things uh, simultaneously without, you know, you know, personnel banging into each other and that sort of thing. Um, and and similarly, you know, it, a lot of times it's an afterthought, but um, your lab in, in QAQC area, you know, ideally it is a lab and it's a, it's at least a small room in and of itself. Um, but you should think about that, you know, and, and when you're laying it out and how does it fit into the space and, uh, you know, even office space for your brewer, you know, again, like a lot of times, especially on the smaller places, you'll see a head brewer or tasting room manager or even sometimes the owner, they'll be sitting out in the tasting room officing out of there. And, uh, you know, I think at first it might be a little endearing and we're all, you know, fighting the good fight of small business and, and we're making it work. But um, I think after about a year or two of that, it gets old for everybody and, and including it sort of doesn't look great for the consumer. So you better to plan that into your space early than to kind of just, oh, wait, we did, we built everything and now we don't have a place to actually work or store stuff, you know, even storage of like kegs and packaging materials and, and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, like I said, it, it really just comes down to, I always start with the functionality and, and efficient use of space um, that ties into the utility availability that we, we talked about earlier. But at the same time, this is where it starts to cross paths with, you know, the aesthetic that you want to have of your brewery. And like, is it is it facing your tasting space? Are your patrons going to be seeing it? Um, how does that look both when your brewers are there brewing and and then when they're not like things being you know kept clean where you do store your hoses and parts and and all of that stuff again it's um it's not necessarily the the most sexy version of the this process but it, at the end of the day like it, it it's a lot of small things that add up and and the more you plan and kind of ID those um, the better you're gonna set yourself up both like initially and and to grow you know? Awesome. Laura? Um, understanding that some of the spaces are quirky and weird. Um, if you don't have quirks and weirdness and you have a good size space, is there a logical, like you want to put all of the equipment kind of in the path of the beer as it's made so that it kind of all goes in one direction? Is there kind of a logical space or place to design kind of something like that? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, think of it I like to think of it, I guess I get, there's a million ways to do it. And I guess, you know, whoever you ask, you might get a different answer, but I personally do, do like to have it as a little bit of a flow chart of, you know, you kind of want product or raw materials coming in and, and hitting your brew house and then going through your fermentation and packaging process and sort of leaving in a, in a different place than they're coming in, but a convenient place to then ultimately segue into your storage. 
Um, so if you have a blank canvas, yeah, it's it's almost like a a half circle or you know a half a square or however you want to do it. But again, it really does depend on how you want it to look too. You know, if if it was just if it's just a production brewery, then yeah, you have you know maybe a, a loading door on the top right corner, and it kind of comes in and goes through your your cellar, and then it's on the bottom the bottom right corner is your storage and exit and and loading dock and and that sort of thing. But like you said, every space um very rarely is somebody building a brewery like from the ground up and and if you have that luxury um it's great you can kind of put things wherever you want but like you said every space is a little quirky and and that's kind of the fun or at least i think it's fun to to kind of play tetris on where things go and and how to um get things in and get things out um while still being functional for the people using it you know awesome so dustin Taking this a step further, if there is, um, let's say there's a restaurant uh, plan to be part of the space as well, how do, can you strategize to kind of tie in the production space with the operational customer facing aspects of um, a tap room or a restaurant? Um, how would that work? Well, I think a, a brewery is really a unique model with a tap room or restaurant and that you really it's one of the few um, business types where you can go to where the product is being made and consume or enjoy it right there on site. You're not going to the Nike factory um, to watch the shoes being made and then buy your shoes there for the most part. There are different types of business. But breweries are, it's a manufacturing and it's a hospitality uh, scenario together into one spark. And, and so the reason that your customers are coming to to the brewery rather than going to a bar is because of that experience being where it's made and really kind of understanding that process and how it how it works so let the brewery be a part of that experience let them see into the brewery area see how the beer is made what the process is to make beer don't bury the brewery behind a wall that makes the tap room no different than the than any bar you spend a lot of money on the stainless show it off show how the raw materials the water malt hops use how they're brought in how they're transformed into that glass of beer and and then uh, but also be considerate of the process. It's a, it's still a manufacturing process. Be conscious of safety and comfort for your customers. Noise, you know, those are kind of some things to to watch out for when you have an open environment to the brewery. Um, but also of your employees. Um, I, there's very few brewers I know that want to be kind of in a fishbowl um, up on the brew deck right next to the customers, where they can be probed with questions constantly while they're trying to get work done. But you can still show off. Um, you know, the, the soldier row of, of fermenters and you can have a, you know, a window into the packaging areas. You're going to see how the process is, you know, we, we see it every day. So we kind of take it for granted, um, you know, what it means to, to see a canning line running at full speed. Um, but to someone that's never seen it before, or doesn't understand how, how a um, can comes off a pallet and twist, twist, rinsed and filled, you know, that, that can be a really kind of exciting thing for a customer to see. And, gives them you know some association between what the glass in their hand and how it's being brought to them so kind of thinking about how you can integrate that and create really the unique environment that doesn't really occur in any other industry awesome i'm gonna note here that you also have to there are ttb guidelines of uh how how in how closely your customers can get to your tanks. So just make sure you're aware of that as well. You, you, you can't set your tasting room up in your production area, which I have actually seen before. Um, so just a note there, make sure your local and federal regulations are met. 
Uh, Derek? Yeah, similarly, again, like my my background's kind of in production and I've been in, in I've worked in places that it, it is a little bit of a, a fishbowl or, or a zoo and and you got, you know, kind of people looking at you, which is fine. Like you said, it's like you you should have the, the process be observable, I think, by anybody who's coming in. That's, that's what's unique about a craft beer. But like you said, uh, keep in mind of not only TTB, but also uh, safety of getting people through. If you're going to take people on tours or anything, state safety and exposure to where those uh, parts of the process are happening. Um, you know, uh, by and large, again, like when you, when you're a brewer, you kind of sign up for people being mystified by the process and, and it's really cool. Don't get me wrong. It's a, it's a, it's a great process and, and job, but definitely take into consideration that it, it can be a dangerous and loud uh, space as well. So, um, Again, that's sort of the challenge too of marrying the sort of function form and and also public interacting with it, especially after a couple adult beverages. So, Andy, did you want to add something? Yeah, I mean, it's I think it's all the same points. Um, I feel like for a, a direct to consumer experience, people want to see the romantic parts of of brewing. Um, and it can be a trick from a layout perspective to find a way that people can experience the romantic, nice, you know, parts of brewing, but they don't want to see your trash pile. They don't want to smell your spent grain holding tank and they don't want to hear your chiller. So all of those like support things that need to happen uh, with forklifts coming and going, not hopefully running over patrons, um, those all need to be laid out in a way where they can, I mean, sort of be hidden. It's, it's a, uh, it's, kind of a vulgar way of saying that but the the, the things that are either dangerous or pretty obviously offensive <laughs> you have to put them in the layout somewhere where they're um you know kind of out of sight gotcha actually um andy sticking with you in your experience if there are goals beyond functionality um such as sustainability type parameters how do they change this process of strategic decision making and the operational layout if, if, if at all Oh, they absolutely do um, uh, should and should be taken into consideration, especially sustainability parameters. I mean, that's typically some examples of sustainability things. Uh, a big one is wastewater. Sometimes that's out of necessity and sometimes that's out of a sustainability effort. But in either case, um, if you have the opportunity to address the way that effluent is collected, and by that I mean um, if you're tearing up a concrete floor anyway, because you have to put in drains or floor coating or whatever, and you have the opportunity to uh, put in a sump and collect the brewery effluent, um, you know, because you're going to, you know, reclaim or use that, um, that waste, or you're trying to keep it out of uh, a municipal waste treatment system because it's delicate and you're going to truck it somewhere else where it can be more appropriately dealt with. Obviously, that's a big um you know, infrastructural consideration to take into account up front. Um, another one might be um, with all of the CO2 crisis that we're uh, still experiencing years later. Um, the uh, A lot of clients uh, of, of ours are looking very hard at nitrogen generation, which is great. Um, but, uh, you know, nitrogen generation to use nitrogen instead of CO2 requires a relatively small device that uses a, a big proportion of compressed air. So now you need to consider, um, you know, upsizing your your air compressor and where you're going to put that. Um, and also, do you have the, uh, you know, electricity to um, to support that type of a thing? 
Another one would be CO2 reclamation. Um, CO2 reclamation requires that you have a device that can go and attach to your, uh, you know, your fermenters and collect those, uh, you know, the CO2 that, that's off-gassing during fermentation. Um, and, you know, I guess from a purely just like a location perspective, it doesn't make too much of a difference. But then you think about how you start planning where you're going to set all this accessory equipment, uh, where it's going to go and what sort of utility draws it's going to require. It does make a, a pretty significant difference. Gotcha. Um, actually, we're going to take a quick break and have a word from our sponsor. We interrupt your regular programming with a word from craft beer's most trusted point of sale, Arrived. Arrived combines industry expertise and essential taproom tools to make brewery operations easier and profits bigger. In fact, Arrived customers who use QR code ordering see an increase in tab size by almost 37%. Learn how they do it at arrived.com forward slash start a brewery. That's A-R-R-Y-V-E-D dot com forward slash start a brewery. Okay, welcome back. So Derek, I'm sorry, sometimes we have too many Ds. Dustin, <laughs> from your architectural perspective, how would you advise people to translate their vision to reality through their contractors? Um, and, and, do, and do you have to coach people to adapt their vision to a really realistic and perhaps more efficient reality? I'm gonna guess that's a yes. Uh, absolutely. A <laughs> budget. Um, have a budget and understand the cost of construction. It's particularly in today's market. Um, the cost of materials is going up almost every day um, and, and kind of understanding what the what the costs are, what's going to be involved. Um, and not only for the shell building and some of those things you need, but for the finish finishes like your furniture and your lighting and signage, those are all things that are going to fact into the cost of the project overall. Be prepared to revise your budget as you go. You may have to expand the budget or you may have to change the scope of work to pull it back within what your budget can handle. Um, perhaps there's some things that can be deferred. Um, maybe you don't need all that furniture from day one. You can get your bar stools and a few tables and you can add some of that stuff with revenue monies instead of construction budget monies, but you need you need monies to also to, to start up and operating. So kind of understanding the, the cost of what it is you're trying to do, working directly with your architect and contractor to establish that budget early, um, be willing to update it regularly. Um, we try to discover as many things ahead of time as we can. We don't like surprises, but surprises will happen. So have a contingency budget for that. Do your diligence and know about everything that's going to go into the project and what that cost is going to be. Um, that's probably the biggest one is, is people not understanding um, what it takes to really build a brewery because it, it's it's a different model, different type than really anything else. You have a cost of your shell building, you have cost of utility improvements, and then you have infrastructure parts that are not technically equipment, but you have piping for um, glycol and CO2 and compressed air and all these different components that are part of a brewery, but they're not necessarily things you're going to take with you if you leave. Um, but there are there are things that need to go into that budget and be part of that. If you have a contractor that hasn't built a brewery before, he may come up with a cost per square foot number. But what is included in that? Does he have an idea of those other components and the rigging to to get 
to get equipment off of a truck and get it into the building and get it set up in place and anchoring it if it's necessary is that in the budget and there's a lot of things kind of working with an experienced team that knows all the different components that are part of the brewery and what that's going to mean your cost per square foot is going to be different than it would be in, in just a purely manufacturing setting or a purely a restaurant bar setting gotcha laura do you end up suggesting that people change direction in terms of size of system or manufacture of the system or um, different, like if they were going to go with electric and and needed to to change financially, or if they were going to go with natural gas and needed to change financially? Are there some key places where people can save if they're wanting to do more than they can? Yeah, we definitely have those conversations. It might be from something as simple as, you know, they want to go to the electric system, but they're planning on a 20 barrel system. And I said, well, have you really looked at what that means? And is it possible to run a 20 barrel system on electric? Um, they want to go with a boiler system because they don't have natural gas, but they're going to go to the electric boiler. It's, have you priced that out? Have you really looked at it? Or they come to me and say they want to produce 5,000 barrels a year and they're getting a 20 barrel system. I'm like, well, you're only going to turn that a few times a week to hit that volume. You can, you want to back that system down, maybe go with a smaller system and brew a little bit more often, or maybe they're only looking at a one barrel system. And I'm like, you really want to work yourself to death? You know, <laughs> you can get a little bit larger system and not work as hard and find that, that sweet spot balance between the, the size of your equipment, how much beer you want to make, and then how you can grow that. Maybe year one, you're brewing two or three times a week. And as you grow, you might then be brewing double batches, five, six days a week. So what are the easy parts that you can expand upon? You can build out your cellar space and have it ready to just, and you can put in your glycol lines, you can add the um, connection points so that when you need to produce more beer, all you need to do is set a tank in place, add a glycol drop and you're ready to go and you don't disrupt the operations of the rest of the brewery. So we work a lot with understanding what their goals and objectives are and sort of map out what that production process is going to be and try to right size their system for the volume they want to do and how much work they want to put into it, how much labor they want to do you know, per batch. Right. Derek? Yeah, no, I was going to actually pretty much echo everything he just said. Like, uh, and I guess just to put a, a cap on it, in it, it's funny. It reminded me of uh, a previous episode where I guess you know, Candice, you earned the nickname of Dream Killer. Um, but that's usually my job in, when this subject comes up. Of like somebody has a uh, you know a twenty barrel system in mind, and they're this many tanks, and um, but then the cost comes back, or we find out that it might not fit in the space. And um, but yeah, just to reiterate. What, what Justin said, it's okay to right size your system or downsize to start in um, at, for, in, at a 10 barrel system and batch into 20 barrel tanks rather than, you know, the other way around. Um, yeah, and just it's, it's okay to start smaller <laughs> and grow into it. Uh, and it'll also save you money in the near term, which is going to, uh, you're going to want for runway and uh, in actual operations. Gotcha. Andy? Yeah, I just wanted to add that um, in, in terms of the overall cost of a, a project, if you're an owner who's very handy and you're planning to, to DIY and self-install some things, that's great, uh, you know, as local code allows and all that kind of stuff. It has to be safe, of course. Um, but something that I keep on running into with certain clients is that they, um, they think if they maybe downsize 
of small increment that that savings is going to be relevant long term. And bear in mind that the cost of building a brewery can be, in some cases, 50 to 60 percent installation labor. So if you're making the decision between, say, a 100 horsepower boiler and a 150 horsepower boiler, um, you know, it may be several thousand dollars or something. I'm just picking numbers out, right? But there may be, say, an eight to 10 percent cost delta in the equipment. Um, but there is no delta in the cost to get it installed, commissioned, um, and all those types of things. So if you can in your budget, I know I'm kind of indicating a little bit of a different perspective on what was just said, but if you can afford a small, you know, incremental increase in certain equipment sizing, you can lower your operational costs, which, you know, hurts up front, I know, but uh, it's CapEx versus OpEx. If you can carve out just a little bit more CapEx, to get a slightly better or more efficient boiler, or you can pay for premium efficient pumps and things like that. Down the road, long-term, that will pay huge dividends. Um, another example is uh, the, the cost, total cost of ownership on an electric motor or a centrifugal pump, for example. Um, you know, the, the overall net cost, um, it, only 4% of that or so, maybe two to 4% of the total cost of ownership of that pump is the pump itself the rest of its electricity and maintenance you know and it's really electricity so if you think about it if there's a small delta if it's a few percent difference just to go out and get uh, a slightly more efficient you know boiler chiller pump whatever it is um i know i know it hurts buy once cry once but i would really advocate to look at those things really hard because uh, they can help you out in the long run gotcha well we're Starting to get to the end, running out of time a little bit. So I'm gonna let's let's go to the final words of wisdom you guys have to offer uh, folks who are looking to start a brewery. Uh, Andy, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, I would say um, because of the super dynamic environment that that craft beer is in right now, it feels like we're taking punches from all different directions, right? There's consolidation and there's, you know, we're just coming out of COVID and supply chain is all over the place. You know, my advice is to remain uh, flexible, keep your head on a swivel and never say never because never is a long time. You know, I've heard people say we will absolutely never do X. And then they realize like, oops, we, we really should have reconsidered that. Um, like, you know, could be we will never uh, go to distribution or we'll never make this type of a product or, uh, you know, we'll never get beyond this certain size or whatever. Um, it's really important, throwing back to some of these earlier podcast episodes to identify who you are so you have a brand identity and be true to that. But otherwise, <clears throat> the current environment in brewing requires you to pivot and movement is life. Gotcha. Yeah, I think COVID definitely taught a lot of people that pivoting is a uh, is an important skill uh, to have as well. Uh, Derek, final words of wisdom. Sure. I mean, yeah. In the interest of, I won't go down another long-winded, uh, you know, rabbit hole or anything like that. But it, again, just to kind of reinforce what I what I mentioned at the beginning is um, planning is so important. You know, business planning, equipment planning. Uh, do all of that early and often. And like uh, Andy just said, be flexible throughout the process. Um, and then secondary to just solid planning and identifying what you need, 
Um, Dustin mentioned it earlier too, but it bears repeating because this is a, a place where, you know, I, I see things go awry so often is uh, hire people who either know more than you or know the things that you don't know, <laughs> including architecture, law, construction management, especially construction management. That that alone, uh, having a good contractor who knows code, who knows um, how to build a, a beverage facility, uh, it can save you months, which can translate to tens of thousands of dollars um, and, and prevent a lot of other things as well. That's great. Yeah. In the beginning of the Starter Brewery, I told Laura, I thought our tagline should be starterbrewery.com because you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Dustin, bring us home. Yeah. Due diligence. I mean, everybody said it, but, um, you know, understand what you're getting into, what it takes to really build a brewery and, and listen to the professionals you've brought around you. Um, when I tell somebody that this is how much it's going to cost to build their brewery, um, I, we, I, I, I've been scoffed in and they say, well, I can get it done faster and cheaper. And I'm like, okay, but I've done a lot of these. I know that the, what this takes and I know what it's going to be. And then when those clients choose to go with someone else, I watch those projects just out of curiosity to see what's going to happen. They end up take, they end up going with someone that told them what they wanted to hear and in the long run, those people didn't know what a brewery really was and what it really meant. The project ended up coming way over budget and took a lot longer than what we had initially told them. So, you know, they ended up really upside down on the project because they didn't listen to the professionals they had around them that told them how this goes and how it how it's going to work. Um, and then understand the process and so what it's going to take, understand what the timeline really is from how long it takes to find a property. We've had clients take four years to even just to locate a property that's at, that's going to be right for what they want to do. Uh, you know, it can be less than that, but we've seen it as, as long as that. Um, and understand what the what the design process is. This isn't something that can be designed and engineered overnight. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of things that you want to make sure you get right, get them right on paper first, because it's a lot easier to change a line on a drawing than it is to move something in the field that wasn't installed properly. Um, and just be aware of it. it you know, no surprises is what is what our goal is. That sounds great. Yeah, something you said that reminded me. One of the other consultants we work with, John Carpenter, has often said, and I'm trying, and I'm trying to, I want to make sure I quote it correctly, but cheap, cheap fast, and good. Fast and good. You can only <laughs> have two. two. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Very true. Yeah. So. Another saying that I've heard is get out of your own way. And I think that that applies to so many things in so many uh, different contexts. And I think in this case, it's, you know, get your ego out of the way. Get your head out of the way and listen and learn and keep asking questions. And, and, and you might find all the things you didn't know that you didn't know. Um, so a big thank you to everybody for being here today. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us now and in the future for episode 10, Design and Build Strategy of the Started Brewery podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode, 11, continuing forward with your business plan, this time delving into the question of what are you brewing? This will be released in the earliest of the wee hours on Tuesday, May 23rd. We have a final wrap-up word from our sponsor. Craft Beer knows firsthand that the best ingredient is love. Arrived Point of Sale combines industry expertise, essential taproom tools, and a whole lot of love to make running your brewery easier. 
Scale faster with Arrive's mobile all-in-one system that offers flight tools, digital card on file, and award-winning customer support. See profit building tools in action at arrive.com forward slash start a brewery. That's A-R-R-Y-V-E-D dot com forward slash start a brewery. Finally, a lovable point of sale arrived. While you're anticipating the release of our next episode, feel free to visit the Start a Brewery website at startabrewery.com, a free resource for those who are looking to open or grow their breweries. Be sure to look through the task lists offered for each stage of the process, plan, act, open, and grow, at the educational resources, and at the offerings from our savvy contributors in our growing library. You can also sign up for an occasional electronic update with new Start a Brewery contributors, content, events, and more great information on the contact page of the website. We also encourage you to explore the All About Beer website at allaboutbeer.com. Perhaps pop in to enjoy one of their excellent podcasts as well. In the meantime, this has been Laura Lodge and Candice Moon wishing you a terrific day and thanking you once again for joining us on our podcast journey to start a brewery.